0: Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a while and I hope everybody has been staying safe and healthy. Today, we're gonna jump right into this episode because it's a hot topic right now um, to do with the COVID-19 vaccine. I'm joined by my amazing co-host, which is gonna sub in for a guest today, Dr. Thea Karajan, our board-certified allergist and immunologist from our Allergy Partners of Springfield in Northern Virginia, DC area. Hey Dr. T, thank you so much for being my guest today on this hot topic of vaccines for COVID-19. It is December 18th and we are here guys. We have the vaccine, at least one of them, accessible to some people around the world. So we're gonna jump right in, talk about the safeties of this vaccine, how it came around and some of the science behind it. So which vaccine as of now, Dr. T, is approved by the FDA?
1: Well, thank you, Chilka, for inviting me. Um, This is such an important topic, maybe the most important topic of our lifetimes when it comes to how much the COVID pandemic has affected not just our country, but our world. So the question is, which vaccine was approved by the FDA? So as of now, the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine, I'm just going to call it the Pfizer vaccine, is the one that received an emergency use authorization from the FDA. That was done on December 11, 2020, for those aged 16 years old or older. There is a second vaccine made from a different company called Moderna. It received approval from a panel of independent experts. They are called the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee Meeting. I expect, as most of us, that this second vaccine will also receive emergency use authorization today, December 18th, 2020. It hasn't yet, I just checked, but I expect it to be given that authorization today.
0: So this is so exciting. I know definitely for the medical community because it gives us some hope, right? To get out of this different lifestyle. What type of approvals have these vaccines gone through?
1: That's such an important question. So I I use the phrase emergency use authorization. So this is a type of authorization that the FDA can issue during a public health emergency we are obviously in a public health emergency. This is different than what's called a biologics license application. The acronym is BLA, and that you can think of as like a full regulatory approval. And for the Pfizer vaccine, they expect that to occur in 2021. But right now, because of the public health emergency, the FDA is able to use this emergency use authorization, otherwise known as an EUA, to get certain treatment to the public. And in this case, the Pfizer vaccine.
0: So in the studies and the trials, what information was used by the FDA to give the emergency use approval? So
1: for these numbers that I'm going to give, this is all based on the Pfizer studies. Again, the Moderna vaccine should receive emergency use authorization today, so that these numbers are just for the Pfizer product. So based on over 37,000 participants that were enrolled in an ongoing randomized placebo-controlled international study, the majority of which are US participants. In this study, about half received the vaccine and the other half received a placebo injection of salt water. these subjects or individuals were followed for a, at least two months after receiving the second dose. This is a two-dose regimen vaccine, just like the Moderna one. Generally speaking, with vaccines, we normally see serious adverse events within six weeks of vaccination. So the fact that the FDA was able to see two months worth of post-vaccination data is incredibly important in part of their determination that this is a safe product.
0: So a lot of people's concerns is that, you know, it's taken so long to get vaccines approved for other diseases. How did this get approved so fast? And because it got approved so fast, is it safe?
1: That's such a good question. So the it's kind of a long answer and I want to take you through it. You're right. The, before this, the quickest we saw a vaccine made was about four years. So this is less than a year. Of course, that's going to create some kind of concern. But the devil's in the details. So what do I mean by that? The speed here was gained due to process efficiencies rather than cutting corners or eliminating the actual individual steps from development. I'm gonna go through this a little bit. So the steps that are usually done in order were actually done in parallel. So we got to the same end result of having good data, but we were able to get there faster because things that were normally done one after another were done all at the same time. So just to go through that a little bit, normally the way it works is you have to first identify a target on the pathogen. So in this case, there's a virus. You got to figure out what part of the virus you're going to target. That usually takes three to six months. Next, you'll do animal studies. So you'll make a vaccine and you'll introduce them into animals to see if it's safe and if it's effective. Then only after that would you do human studies. And these studies, as many people have heard these phrases, are phase one, two, and three studies. Usually you do a phase one study, that takes six months to a year. And then if everything's okay, then you do a phase two study, same thing, six months to a year, and then you do a phase three study. So all of those things usually take time and they're done one after another. In this case, because of the seriousness of the pandemic, these phases were actually done at the same time, except for the target identification. So that was actually done extraordinarily quickly within one month, mainly because of incredible advancements in the field of genetics, uh, uh, mathematics, physics, chemistry, all of these things kind of put together, we were able to identify targets within a month or two of identifying the uh, virus. That's amazing in and of itself. And that is just the advancement of science.
0: And the history between behind the mRNA isn't new. That's been studied for years and years and years. So essentially it seems like it's fast, that we start out of nowhere, but in reality it's been being studied, right?
1: Yes. In the sense of the concept of using a genetic part of a pathogen and somehow getting that into us to be used to create within our own bodies proteins from the virus so that we can mount an immune response that has been done ish, but not in this specific way. This specific way was kind of a shortcut. It actually skipped a couple steps to get to the end point. But the other advantage of this, what we call vaccine platform, is as soon as you identify a target, the sort of sequence of mRNA that you wanna use to create the specific virus protein, once the infrastructure is up and running, you can actually make the vaccine super, super fast, way faster than before. So the reason we don't have enough vaccine right now is because this specific platform doesn't have yet the infrastructure, but now it does. We, we're building that infrastructure. So that goes back to the sort of things running in parallel. So once we have the target on, on the virus, all these, the animal studies, the phase one, the phase two, they all happened simultaneously because of the pandemic and then only after we saw some initial good safety and efficacy data that phase three trial start and that was around april but what needs to be clear is the actual number of people involved in these studies is exactly the same as would have been done previously and in, in fact in addition to that there are these independent committees called data and safety monitoring boards that looked at the data as it was happening to make sure it was worthwhile to continue the studies. So they weren't completing each step, then taking a look at the data and then going to the next step. Because of the pandemic, these data and safety monitoring boards were actually doing that monitoring on an ongoing basis. And this is not usually how it works. But again, because we're in a pandemic, these data and safety monitoring boards were given access to that data while the studies were going. Now, remember, these were people that weren't actually involved in the studies. So these studies were still blinded. These are completely independent people who have no incentive financially if a vaccine gets approved or not. These committees are made up of appointed professors and experts. They worked with study statisticians and the principal investigators, but these principal investigators were not privy to these meetings. So the committee monitored the trials on an ongoing basis. And if they saw concerning trends in the data, they would stop or pause the trial. And this actually happened with two of the vaccines already. So the AstraZeneca vaccine and the Johnson and Johnson vaccine were both temporary paused because these data and safety monitoring boards found some issues that they were concerned about. Both have subsequently been cleared and restarted. But I bring that up to say, these data and safety monitoring boards, they're not rubber stamp approval panels. They actually paused some trials because they were concerned with things that they were seeing. So they were actually doing their job, making sure that these studies Uh, we're showing appropriate safety prior to moving on to the next step.
0: So as per usual, and with everything, you know, anything that's great, we always have the few bad apples that always get dramatized. And, you know, that's what everybody hears about. So I know there's a lot of concern with the allergic reactions that have been reported with a few people that received the vaccine. What can we say about the allergy risk with the Pfizer COVID vaccine and what led to this concern?
1: Yeah, so before we get to the allergy risk, I I just did want to talk about a couple of things with the overall efficacy and safety. So for the Pfizer vaccine, it did show a 95% efficacy in preventing against symptomatic COVID infection. That is literally a grand slam. It's not even a home run. That is a grand slam from a, It was a vaccine that was tested on a wide variety of demographic. 9% African-American, 4% Asian, 28% Hispanic, Latino, uh, 42% older, a um, uh, 35% increased weight. So across the board, really well uh, uh, represented in terms of the study participants and the efe- efficacy was high in all of these different groups. And in terms of serious adverse events, they were incredibly low in these multiple tens of thousands of participants and the serious adverse events were very comparable in number to the placebo or the saltwater uh, shot that was given during these trials. Back to your original question. What's going on now is we've had reports of four healthcare workers, two in the UK and as of this week, two in Alaska, who experienced anywhere between moderate to severe allergic reactions following the vaccine administration. Interestingly, I just mentioned what was seen in the study. This was really not seen in the study. Now, in the study, 0.63% of those who received the vaccine had a reaction, but it wasn't severe or serious. They were mild. Interestingly, this was co- compared to 0.5% in the placebo group. So even the saltwater injection group had some mild reactions. Now, importantly, there were no deaths reported, secondary to allergic reactions in this study, as well as even in these four healthcare workers, none have shown any death they've all recovered from these episodes
0: what should people that have allergies to anything seasonal food just you know any any type of allergic history do in this situation should they be worried about getting the vaccine
1: so in those people with a history of allergies like what should they do this is where it gets really confusing because the initial recommendations that came out of the UK were so broad. And quite frankly, I was a bit perturbed slash upset when those recommendations came out. I felt like the UK medical authorities should have taken a little bit more time to investigate what was going on before making a rather blanket statement. So let's get into the numbers a little bit. Generally speaking, allergic reactions to vaccines are rare, but they can occur estimated about 1.3 in 1 million doses that are given. Now, just to put these numbers in perspective, about 1% of our population has a history of penicillin allergy. That is significantly higher than the rate of any vaccine reactions that we've seen, yet that doesn't stop anyone from prescribing penicillin for a sinus infection if the patient doesn't have a history of penicillin allergy. The Pfizer vaccine does contain different ingredients, sucrose, four different salts, and four different lipid components. Though these are very rare sensitizers, certainly a subset of the population will react to one or more of these ingredients. One of the ingredients in the vaccine is something called polyethylene glycol with the acronym PEG or PEG. This is a known, extraordinarily rare trigger of allergic reactions. Again, I just want to be clear, this is super uncommon for anyone to be allergic to PEG, polyethylene glycol, but there are cases of that. We think potentially that this is what's going on with these vaccine reactions. Our professional organization, the American College of Allergy, Asthma and Immunology put out a statement on December 14th, 2020, that's this week. What they mentioned was that the Pfizer vaccine should be administered in a healthcare setting where anaphylaxis can be treated. All individuals must be observed for at least 20 to 30 minutes after injection to monitor for any adverse reaction. And I totally agree with that. They also mentioned that the vaccine should not be administered to individuals with a known history of a severe allergic reaction to polyethylene glycol, again, which is a component of this vaccine. In my career, I think I have seen one patient total who I suspect has allergic reaction to PEG, but it's extraordinarily rare. They also said that the data related to risk in individuals with a history of allergic reactions to previous vaccinations is very limited and evolving. So even for those individuals that have a history of allergic reactions to previous vaccinations, you should talk to your provider first before having the vaccine administered. Now, I thought this was the most important statement. Individuals with common allergies to medications, foods, inhalants, insects, and latex are no more likely than the general public to have an allergic reaction to the Pfizer vaccine. When we talk about people with allergies, that is the majority of people who we're talking about. Allergies to those kinds of things. That is 99.999% of my patients. So for those patients, they should absolutely get the Pfizer vaccine when they are eligible and able.
0: That's amazing information. And I think it answers a lot of people's questions um, that are worried about this. So weighing the risks and benefits. um, I've had tons of people reach out to me and ask me, are you gonna take it? What are your thoughts on these reactions? What are your thoughts on the vaccine being approved so quickly? And my response is the benefits 100% outweigh any risks that have been reported only because I know what COVID can do, right? So you have, the acute symptoms, you have the, you know, the, um, the sequelae, the, like the long-term effects of, of the COVID virus hitting you. So what are the risks of getting the vaccine versus the benefits of the vaccine?
1: That is a really good question. And that's how many of us look at these various treatments, not just this, but anything. What are the risks versus the benefits? So let's talk about the risks thus far. There aren't any great numbers on this, but between the vaccines that are given in the clinical trials in the UK and thus far in the US, at least tens of thousands of people have received the vaccine. I would guesstimate between fifty to 100,000 people thus far have gotten the vaccine. In those people, only four have had these reactions. Really three, and there's maybe a fourth one. So if we do the math, maybe that's one in the 25,000 risk of a severe allergic reaction to this Pfizer vaccine. That is extraordinarily low. Just to put it in perspective, uh, for those of us in the allergy world, we're very used to giving allergy shots. So this is for people who have grass, tree pollen, uh, cat allergy, we give what's called allergy immunotherapy or allergy shots that really helps their environmental allergies depending on the year, looking at our own allergy partner's internal data, between one in 1,000 to one in 2,000 of those shots can lead to a serious allergic reaction. And we're actually pretty proud of that number. It's actually lower than most allergists. It's lower than the sort of reported rate amongst other allergists. So let's say it's one in 2,000. That's still much higher than the risk with the Pfizer vaccine. Now let's think about the other side of it, the benefit. I previously mentioned this sort of 95% efficacy in those who are fully vaccinated in preventing having symptomatic COVID infection. As of today, over 310,000 Americans have died from COVID. Whenever I hear numbers like that, it's really hard for me to put it in perspective. I, I don't actually know how to think about that number. Well, after doing a little digging, what I found was this number is more American debts than World War I, the Vietnam War, and the Korean Wars combined. Literally add all those up together and it's significantly less American debts than COVID. As of this week, over 3000 Americans are dying from covid every single day. In fact, on December 15th, that number was 3611 deaths in one day. Again, I hear those numbers and I think how do I put this in perspective? One of the most traumatic events of our generation was the September 11th attacks. On the that day, we lost 3,000 Americans. So that unfortunate event changed our lives forever. We are having a 9-11 sized event every single day. There is only one way out of this. There is one way out of this pandemic, and that's through widespread vaccination. So in my humble opinion, the benefits of this Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, as well as other ones that may get approved, far outweigh the risks of the COVID pandemic. And it's not even close.
0: So I just want to do mention that neither one of us worked for Pfizer. We don't, aren't sponsored yes. by <laughs> Pfizer. <laughs> We're not paid by Pfizer. <laughs> Although, you know, if they want to go ahead and give us a little tip on this, they could. Um, so we're not affiliated with them at all. We're talking about this purely based on being in the medical field um, and our personal opinions as well. And so for the million dollar question that we've been getting, would I get the vaccine? Dr. T, would you get the vaccine? Um, would I want my family members to get the vaccine? And my answer is 100% yes. Yeah, I mean, there, like you said, there's no way out of this without this. and. The few friends that I know that have had received it um, in the past couple of days, they're crying tears of joy because there's finally some relief and sense of hope that life will go back to pre-COVID lifestyle, which is amazing to even think about. So what are your final thoughts on getting this vaccine? And would you and your colleagues and friends and family um, receive this shot?
1: So that is such a good question. There's so many times when I'm talking to my patients where I'll tell them, my philosophy is, I'm going to treat you as if you're my family member. If it's your child, I wanna treat them like they're my child. The things I recommend are exactly the things that I would recommend if it was my child in this room. So I would absolutely get the vaccine. And in fact, I did this morning, as you already know Choco, because I told you about it. Um, I got my vaccine this morning. Um, I feel great. I have a little bit of soreness, but not anything that's a big deal. I don't actually feel anything. I don't feel tired. I don't feel feverish. Although that has been reported and that's okay for some people who get the vaccine. And you're absolutely correct. It was emotional. I was incredibly, I don't know how to say it, I started to feel a sense of relief, not just for me, but for us, for our world, for our society. And you could sense that emotion in the room. You could sense that emotion with every person I interacted with while getting the vaccine. I know other um, healthcare worker uh, colleagues and friends who have also gotten the vaccine thus far, and we all have felt the same way. For my wife, who is also a physician and getting vaccinated soon, when my children are able to, my parents, my father-in-law, my sister and her husband and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, all the people that mean the most to me in this world, I have told them, please get vaccinated as soon as you can and they all will. And I've shown them by getting vaccinated myself. So to everyone out there, this is exactly what I am saying to my own family, in fact, I'm saying it to myself, because I was very lucky enough to be able to get the vaccine, literally, this morning.
0: That's so amazing. Um, I'm kind of jealous that I haven't got mine yet, but I will when it does come to my time, and 100%, you know, I feel the same way. I treat all my patients, and even friends, and family, and acquaintances, Facebook friends, everybody that I know, I would treat like they're my own family, Um, and I 100% recommend this to everybody. It is gonna be our way out of this crazy, crazy year. And so, you know, be careful of what you're reading and what you're looking at online. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of things out there that's gonna confuse you. And if you have any questions, don't just spread the misinformation, ask people in your life that you can trust and that I've done the research. So. Dr. T, any final words about this?
1: You said it so well, Chilka. It's it's so easy to sort of read something online or hear something from a friend and just believe that it might be true rather than digging into the research and data yourself or at least talking to someone like a healthcare provider, a trusted healthcare provider that can give you their perspective. All of the information that I convey today, it's all public information. You can get it yourself. Uh, The safety data, the unfortunate COVID death data, it's all easily attainable. If you don't believe us, talk to someone who you do trust. But again, there is only one way out of this pandemic. There is only one way we can get life back to normal, and that's through widespread vaccination. So I really hope that for those listeners who have doubts, please do your own research, but talk to trusted individuals. And um, if you believe us, get vaccinated as soon as you can when you're eligible.
0: So, yeah, if anybody has any further questions, I hope you guys got a lot of information out of this podcast. Um, If you have any other questions, contact any of us at any of your local allergy partners or anybody that you know that you know, will tell you the truth and their, you know, scientific opinions. And remember that our family is here to take care of yours. And we're so excited that this is happening.